Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to the Being Love in Action podcast. I am your host, Kenya C. Williams of Kenya C. Williams Ministries, and we thank you for tuning in every week as we are exploring such a powerful and love-inspired text of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. But on today, we're going to take a little detour. God has blessed me and inspired me to share a word on today entitled The Glory and Grief. Many of us are facing tragedies, losing loved ones, and it can be difficult in these times of grief and in pain to really understand how we can get glory in our grief. So God has really blessed me this week to really prepare as I've experienced some personal tragedy in the last week of losing a loved one. And so on today, as we step into the word of God, coming from Job chapters one and two, I pray that this word will bless you and it also will inspire you and encourage you to be inspired through the word of God. So we encourage you yet again to pull out your journals, take notes, Fill your coffee and teacups, sip your water and listen with an open heart and mind while being inspired, empowered and even challenged as we share through the gospel of Jesus Christ how to get glory in your grief. Amen. There was a recent story in the news that immediately took over the TV stations, social media, and the hearts of all those who watched here in America and all over the world. There was a family of 11 that went on a family vacation who had gotten up that morning with all the joy and laughter of being together. They had probably put an itinerary together, scheduled a day that was filled with adventures for the family that was composed of members from the ages of mid seventies to one year old. They had no clue that on that particular day, their lives would forever be changed. In fact, not only were their lives forever changed, their lives would go down in history as one of the greatest tragedies and pains of our times. This family of 11 boarded a tourist duck boat and headed on to see the sights. However, the weather took a deadly turn, causing the once calm waters of that river to become violently raging, so much so that the boat capsized, leaving 17 people dead. And out of that 17 people that died as a result of this terrible accident, nine of the victims belonged to one family. Only two remaining survivors of a family originally of 11 was going to be going home minus nine people. This is the type of pain that seems insurmountable and and it can make 
us sometimes begin to question if there is really a God. And if there is really a God, how can he allow such tragedy to happen to all those families, but especially upon the family that lost nine family members at one time? Have you ever been there? Have have you ever experienced grief in such a way that you were unsure of how you were going to survive? Perhaps the loss of a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, a loved one. Have you ever been there? Uh, understand that there is such a thing as glory in your grief, but the glory in your grief depends on your posture and your pain. Uh, I'll say it one more time just so you can grasp what I'm saying. There is such a thing as glory in your grief, but the glory in your grief depends on your posture in your pain. You may be saying to yourself, woman of God, what does my posture have anything to do with the glory in my grief? Well, I'm glad you asked because there is a man who not only demonstrated the importance of posture in moments of grief and pain, but he also demonstrated the importance to worship and praise. This man goes by the name of Job, whose story is told in the book of Job and is referenced throughout the Old and New Testaments. Job life, just like that family who had tragically perished in the duck boating accident, he experienced immediately and seeming permanent damage to the lives of the family and those connected to them. I would like to share with you on today through the life of Job, three ways you can be strengthened to preserve through tragedy and painful experiences that may come your way in life. You know, there's a saying that my grandmother and them used to say, if you live long enough, you may not have experienced any pain right now. But I guarantee you, if you live long enough, you'll experience some things in life. In other words, you'll begin to experience some pain. There's a song by uh, a group called uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays. He said there's joy and then there's pain like sunshine and rain. In other words, joy and pain goes hand in hand and the sun and the rain goes hand in hand. There are things we can't live. We can live without, but we can't live without. If that makes any sense, there are things in life that must happen in order for life to continue. But pain is one of those things that if we're honest, nobody wants to experience it. So in other words, it is your posture during painful moments or seasons that produces a heart to worship. And if you allow yourself to be connected to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you to reign, he will allow you to not only praise your way out of the pain, but he will give you the power to proceed in life. I, I know it's hard, but 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 there is a blueprint. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for the word of God. I want you to know that there is glory in your pain, but the glory in your grief only depends on your posture in the pain. Let See, Job's tragedy begins in, in chapters one and two, and it sets up the beginning of the painful tragedy that came upon Job's life. And, and I'll share a little bit of it 
with you for those of you who are not familiar with Job and who he was. However, as I was studying this text, God allowed me to see the blueprint on how to respond to tragedy and painful experiences. I will be coming from Job chapters one and two, but my scripture focuses will be on Job one and 20. Amen. And the word of God says at this Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Bless the word of the Lord. Amen. So here was Job. The Bible says that Job, God described Job as a righteous man. He was a man that was living his life out loud in front and he was living it as a holy man of God. He was not necessarily a priest. He was a man that lived his life according to the word of God. And then not only was he a righteous man, but he was a wealthy man. Job had children. He had land. He had all type of animals. And in these days, that was determining the determining factor of your wealth. How many animals you had, you know, it, it was it. That was the way of, of, of looking at um, your network. So his network was one that he probably was a millionaire. I would say he was considered a millionaire in those days. And the thing about Job that was that was. Very peculiar to me or, or that really was fascinating to me was that. It said that when the angels came before God. Which lets us know that the angels have a meeting with God. On a daily basis, he probably tells them where they need to go or what they need to do. But it also says that when the angels presented themselves to God, there was an angel that appeared with them and he was Satan. And Satan came with the other with the other angels. And this is what the word of God says. Amen. Bless the word. It says in verse six, chapter one, it says one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the out the earth, going back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. 
Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then immediately after that, that's when tragedy began to strike Job. But what I found very interesting from the very beginning of the conversation that God and Satan begin to have, the first thing we have to remember is that Satan's job is always to accuse the brethren. Or in other words, the brothers and sisters, his job is always to try to show God that we are unworthy. And not only are we unworthy, that our love for him is only based on what he does for us. In other words, Satan wants to prove that Job worshiped God, not out of love, but because God had blessed him so much. He's an accuser of the brothers and sisters. When God asked Job, where, asked Satan, where, are, where, where did you come from? He said, going to and fro around the earth. What we have to remember is that he's not like God. He can't be in one place at one time. So he roams to see whom he can devour, whom he can get off the track, who he can be allowed to strike tragedy upon so that they, the believer, can turn against God. See, Satan is already in an, an unhappy place. You know, they, there's a saying that misery loves company. Well, well, it definitely does, even in the spiritual realm, because see, Satan always wants to get us to a place of misery. Amen. So God says to Satan, why not try my faithful servant, Job? You know what I love about God? We serve a God that wants to brag on us. He's mind. He is so mindful of us. He wants to be able to say, why not try my faithful servant? And then put your name in the box, put your name on the line. But see, the only way your name can really go on the line, like he said about Job, was that Job was blameless. He was a righteous man. In other words, he purposed to live a lifestyle according to the will of the father. See, in these days, it was before Christ. So there were customs and traditions that needed to be done. The Bible says that he would on a on a regular basis. He would pray and, and offer sacrifices for the sins of his children. Because he knew that they were young. Even though they were young adults, he knew that their walk with God was not his walk. So as a parent, he made sure that he prayed for them and covered them. And too many times, if we're honest with ourselves, when tragedy hits us, sometimes we look inwardly and say, God, what did I do to deserve such hardship, such pain and such grief. And many times if we're honest, when things happen, sometimes it's out of our own consequences, things that we've done. And then there are times just like Job, where God is bragging on us. He says, I want to try 
my faithful servant, you. So here was Job. The conversation of a spiritual means and he had no clue the danger of the tragedy that was about to hit his life. He was going about his regular day like many times we do throughout the day. We get up, brush our teeth, wash our face, take our showers. If we have children, kiss them, get them ready for school, call our friends. We go about life every day. Not even understanding that this day may be the last day that we may have the opportunity to love on one another, to kiss our children, to kiss our husbands, call our, speak to our parents on the phone or our siblings. And yet, if we're honest, we have families. This side is not speaking to this side. Because of something that happened years ago or because this person is creating division among the family. And then the only time we come together is when there's tragedy. Oh, my, my, my. We are in need of a savior. And so here is Job not knowing that today his life was going to be forever changed, but yet forever his life will be written in the history of the Bible. As the blueprint of God's glory in the midst of tragedy. So now here is Job going about his normal routine. And then the tragedy of things begin to, to roll. They begin to start. He was sent four messengers. First messenger, he was sent about animals that were, were raided. And then the second one, uh, other animals that were raiding. And each time the servants were killed. And then the very fourth messenger that came to him. That was able to escape, gave him the news that there was a mighty lightning That struck the tent down that that burnt. I'm sorry, a mighty wind from the desert that destroyed the tent where all of his children lived. Where all of his children were gathering that day, a mighty wind came and took all of their lives at one time. Have you ever been there? In the immediacy of grief and pain felt unlike something that you ever felt before and you thought that you would not be able to survive. Can you imagine what the man, the righteous man of God was feeling in that moment? Can you imagine in the moment? Not only did he lose his children, but his means of commerce was destroyed as well. There were no more animals. They were raided and taken away in stages. Not only did he lose his commerce and his children, if you go in chapter two, the second round was that he was plagued with boils and sores over his body. 
So round one, he lost his children and his means to take care of himself. Now that he's lost everything and everyone, the only person that was next to him was his wife. He no longer could even take care of his wife anymore. That was the first round of disaster and tragedy. And then the second round in chapter two was when it says that he was plagued with sores and boils all over his body. In chapter two, it says that the Lord said to Satan, and this is verse chapter two and verse six. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining integrity? I want you to. I want you to really just hold on to that word integrity. Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Isn't it ironic that in the midst of tragedy and pain, for those of us who are believers, that we deal with the grief and we deal with all of those emotions. And then we have people connected to us. Maybe it's a spouse, sibling, a parent, a church member, someone who, who loves you. And they begin to respond in such a negative way that you're wondering what is really going on. And you're trying to maintain a certain level of integrity because you still want to honor God in your heart, but you're dealing with the pain that you're dealing with in you and, and you're saying to yourself, Lord, just give me peace. But then you're crying and you're hurting. And then you have these family members and friends in your ears talking about, see, that's why, you know, you, you I don't go to church because see this, the, you know, what kind of God that allows something like this to happen? You good or you this, you know, God, ain't, there's not really a God. A, God can't really love you or you. You must have did something in order for this to happen. Even in the midst of our grief and pain, we have to guard our ear gates. Last week. A dear friend of mine, she's my sister from another mother. You know, we have to always remember this. Like Job said, do we just accept good from God and not trouble? You know, it is in the midst of our grief. Sometimes we have to look back on our lives. To begin to see how God's hand has been in our lives. You know, the word of God or God never says that. We won't have things to happen or we won't lose loved ones or we won't feel uh, the lonely loneliness or the hurt or the pain from tragedies. Last week, I, 
my one of my dear friends who, like I said, is a sister from another mother. Um, she's been in my life since I've been six years old. Our children have grown up together. So she's auntie and, you know, her her kids are my nieces and nephews. And she's a very powerful woman of God, a, a great woman of faith. She encourages me. She is one of my inner circle of people that are not only encouragers, but accountability partners for me. And uh, she found her 29-year-old daughter dead in her apartment. And when she called me, she was crying so hard, she could barely get out. And I knew something happened, but I just didn't know what it was. You would have never told me in a million years that she was going to tell me that one of her children were no longer with us that had transitioned. And later on that day, because in that moment she wasn't able to talk, she just wanted me to know. And so I immediately began to go into prayer. And as I began to pray and I began to cry and I began to talk to the Lord and, and I was honest with God about how I was feeling and all of those things. Later on that day, she said to me, she said, Kenya, you know, my daughter was a gift that God, she said, my daughter was not only a gift to me, but God gave her as a gift to me and to the world. And she said, as much as I loved my daughter, God loved her more than I could ever love her. And my thoughts was my God. How much power and faith in God can a mother say in the time when her daughter has died can be able to say it may not make sense to me why he has taken her back unto him but I am grateful for the time that he gave her not only to me, but shared with the world. And that I know that not only do I love my daughter, but I know that the father loves her more than I could ever love her. And that she's in her hands. That she's in the hands of the true and living God. So what do I say to you, people of God, that there's glory in the grief. What do I mean when I say that there's glory in your grief, but your glory depends on your posture? Can I bless you this morning? Can I bless you today? As I go back to the very beginning of the text in Job 1 and 20, and it said, at this Job got up. He got up. The first thing that we must do when we're faced with tragedy is we got to understand that we got to participate in the pain. In other words, he got up. He acknowledged the reality of his pain. We got to be able to deal with the facts of the pain that we're in. We got to be able to deal with the tragedy of whatever hit our lives. And it says that when he got up, it says that he tore his robe and he shaved his head. 
That means in order to get to the glory in our grief, not only do we got to participate in the pain, we got to be prepared to grieve. See, when he went through the motion of tearing off his robe and shaving his head, it was customary for men when they were in grief, when they were grieving and mourning that they would shave off their heads. See, that was an outward sign to anyone that came around them or came in contact with them to understand that they were now in a mourning season. They were grieving the loss of a loved one. See, too many times we we are so super spiritual that we tell people, oh, you're going to get over it. It's not going to hurt. That's not truthful. We got to go through the process. We got to participate in the pain. We got to acknowledge the hurt. We got to acknowledge the pain. We got to prepare to deal with the grief. You know, sometimes preparing to deal with the grief means sitting in silence. Sometimes it may mean talking about it with loved ones. It may mean seeking out professional counseling to help you. But what you're doing when you make those decisions is is that you're saying, I am aware of what I'm going through and I'm going to participate in my healing. Can I bless you on this morning? But the very last thing we got to do when we're we're looking to the glory, to receive the glory in our grief. And and, and it goes back to what I said. It depends on your posture. I want you to look at this verse. It says. Then he fell to the ground in worship. I'm going to read it again. It said then he fell to the ground in worship. Can I tell you what his position was right in that moment? In that moment, he didn't ball up in a knot and die and say, I want to die. He didn't just throw his hands up and holler. The word says he fell to the ground in worship. See his position in that moment after he got up, after he participated in the pain, he, he, he realized it. He dealt with the facts. He participated in it. He prepared to grieve in this pain, but now he positioned himself to worship in the pain. In other words, he put himself in a position to praise the true and living God. Can I bless you on this morning? Job positioned himself in pain. And his position was to worship and praise God. Chapter two. In this book. Job. Said in verse one in chapter one, I'm sorry. In verse 20. At the end of the verse, he says, at the end of, at the end of the verse, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Listen, in order to get the glory in your grief, your posture must be one of praise. Well, what are you saying, woman of God? See, 
Job won the test. He won the round, the very first round. The enemy tried to count him out because see, he was thinking that Job was going to curse God and die. He was thinking that Job was going to say, I can no longer serve God because he's taken everything away from me. I'm no longer worthy. But see what the enemy didn't count on. See the thing about the enemy, what you got to remember, he cannot see the future. See when God said, try my faithful servant. Job. See, Satan was depending upon Job to lose. He was depending upon Job to curse God and die because in that moment he believed that Job was going to look out for himself more than he was going to look out, look up to God. I, I don't know if you caught me right up in there. He thought that Job was going to look out for himself. Because sometimes in tragedy, he was thinking that Job would say, well, he took my children. He took my stuff, but I'm still here. So I'm still winning. But when Job showed Satan that even though he took my children and he took all that I had, hallelujah, yet I will worship him. Yet I will praise him. The synonym for worship and praise is to look up to. He looked up to the one who was the giver of everything that he lost. He looked up to the God, the great I am that I am. He looked up to and worship and praise the redeemer, the one who had the power to restore. See, he proved Satan wrong in the midst of tragedy. That his love for God was not likened to a fair weather friend. You know, they're, they're, a fair weather friend is someone that will love you when everything is good and everything is beautiful. But the moment you lose your job, your money is funny. They're no longer around because there's no more good timing for them. See, that's a fair weather friend. See, Satan was depending on Job to being a fair weather Servant, see, 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 you know, it's like marriages. Sometimes we have hard times and people leave. They divorce. The very one who said they love you no longer sees love in you. They despise you. See, see, Satan was depending on Job to become begin to despise God. Oh, but no, he didn't. He took the posture of praise. He took the posture of worship. And then the glory of God was able to sustain him. The glory of God was able in his grief to give him peace. Listen, I don't know what you're facing on today. Maybe you have been in the mist like myself where tragedy has, has struck your family and it appears as if your heart is, 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 is depleted of any and everything. You don't know how you're going to even pick up the pieces. Everything around you is dark. 
can I share with you the word of God? We serve a God who is so mindful of us. He loves us. And here in the story of Job, it demonstrated God's sovereignty and the meaning of true faith. It addresses the question why even the righteous suffer. God wants to brag on us, even in the midst of our tragedy. Remember, everything that we have don't belong to us. They belong to him. So I say to you on today. I pray. That through this story. That you begin to understand. That the enemy cannot see your future, even in your tragedy. God is the one that holds your future and sees your future. It's hurtful. It's painful. But there's glory in your grief if you posture yourself in praise. Posture yourself in praise to the true and living God. The one who loves you, the one who created you. The one who loved you so much that he gave his only son in order that we may have eternal life. And one thing about losing loved ones, as hurtful as it is, we know that those who die in Christ will see them again. That's a promise. You know, there's a word that says in our father's house, there are many mansions. Jesus said, if it was not so, I wouldn't tell, I would not say it. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. There is a guarantee that we have a reservation, a nice one at that. I pray that through the word of God on today, that even in your pain and in your grief, that if you begin to praise the true and living God, the glory of God will be strengthened in your life. Paul said it best in, 12, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Surrender every hurt and every pain unto the Father. And allow the power of the Holy Spirit to reign in you. So that you may be equipped to stand in the crucibles of life. We love you on today. And I pray that you will be blessed, inspired, and encouraged by the power of the true and living God. May the hope, joy, and love of the Father be with you this day. God bless you. Amen. <music>